As a quick disclaimer, this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Also, as a trigger warning, this podcast includes in-depth details about eating disorders and mental health disorders. Hi, my name is Lauren, and you are listening to Southern Fried Recovery. We're glad you're here today. Hello, and welcome back to the third episode of Southern Fried Recovery. I am here with my co-host, officially. This is my husband. Say hello, husband. Hey, uh, we say co-host even though I'm just now joining, so it's like I've been here 33% of the time. I want to talk in this episode... About the age of 14. So I turned 14 in 2003. So let's move to January of 04. I met my husband. Do you want to tell a little bit of how we met? Sure. So I had a friend who was dating Lauren at the time. And uh, they were getting ready to break up. I convinced my friend uh, to let me talk to Lauren over... AOL Instant Messenger, and in doing so, um, eventually one thing led to another, and uh, shortly after that, uh, we started dating in the very beginning of 2004. And by dating, I mean we talked on AOL Instant Messenger. Right. Let's, let's not make it sound any fancier than it was, because I was 14, he was 15, and we were we were still just kids. I mean, we didn't have our driver's license. We couldn't really see each other a whole lot, but we talked a lot, and it wasn't long after that. This was in January. <clears throat> in April, as I had kind of touched on in the first introductory episode, my, my parents and I made the decision that I would get braces for the second time. I got them the first time in fourth grade, and I remember them hurting. But I remember being able to just eat soft foods, and after a week or so, I kind of got over it. But this was after years of body image issues and a lot of things that I talked about in episode two, different ways that I was taught to view food and view eating and then view bodies. And this time it hit me much harder. Um, I got braces and, you know, for a few days I couldn't eat. I think this was beyond just your typical dull soreness. I mean, this was severe pain, at least what I thought was severe pain at the time. And so after a couple of days, I couldn't really eat or drink much else. I stepped on the scale, and I was five pounds less. And I remember thinking, well, that was easy. And, of course, you know, I didn't know at the time that this was going to lead me down a very dangerous road. But I thought this was easy, and, you know, all I had to do to ever lose weight was just stop eating. And in my mind, that sounded like a perfectly reasonable answer to my problems. So that's... Kind of how that started. I ate less and less. And, you know, I I never admitted to anybody that's what I was doing. But I think maybe people around me kind of knew. Yeah, I mean, it started to become obvious. I guess if we sort of skip ahead just a little bit till we were both in high school. You were a freshman and I was a sophomore. And um, I remember there was a uh, yearbook photo of us. Both of us were in it. And uh, this was shortly after you had gotten your braces. It was it was pretty obvious that like you had been going through some I don't want to say weight loss issues because that isn't the right term, um, but some body image issues that caused you to uh, start eating less. And 
wilting away? I remember when I got to high school, uh, my husband, like I said, is a year older than me. Some of his friends, I remember, started telling him that there were rumors going around that I was on drugs. And that's that must have been why I had suddenly lost so much weight. But, you know, that, that was just a rumor. Obviously, that was not true. Right. And, and that, to sort of pause there, that is something that like, doesn't help feed into it, right? Like, you already have these issues of body image and having a hard time with yourself. And then people start coming up with these wild theories of how you're losing weight or why you're losing weight. And so that can't help feed back into your self-loathing. Or I guess it does help feed back into your self-loathing and your negative self-image. You know, in, in today's world, when a person loses weight, people are quick to compliment them. And that just encourages them to keep going, even if what they are doing to lose weight is very dangerous. Luckily, that was not the case for me. Like I said, I, to back up, since we skipped forward a little bit, I got braces in April. And so it was close to the end of the school year, which would have ended um, the end of May or beginning of June. And a lot of people did not see me again until that August when we started back to school. And then it it became apparent that I uh, had lost a a good bit of weight and, and people were saying things about me, not in the nicest of ways. I remember I skipped dinner one night, and that was not something I I did. I, w- I would sometimes skip breakfast or lunch, but I would always eat in the evenings. And I skipped dinner, and that next morning I was getting ready to go to school. I was in the shower, and I think I was shaving, if my memory serves me correctly. All of a sudden I started blacking out, and my dad, I remember, he, he kind of yelled in the room, Hey, are you okay? And apparently I was stumbling around, and he kind of heard me like stomping my feet. All I remember was opening the shower door, and then I remember waking up on my bed wrapped in a towel. I'd never fainted in my life up until that point, but I, I did that morning, and I still went on to school. Um, I felt better after I kind of woke up and came to, but that was that was the first time I fainted, and that was, I think, maybe within a couple of weeks after I got my braces, it happened pretty quickly that my body was starting to suffer because of what I was doing to it. That summer, I would put sticky notes in my house, which of course wasn't my house, it was my parents' house, but I put up sticky notes everywhere on the cabinets and the refrigerators, like discouraging me from eating, or at least if I did eat, not to eat anything with fat in it, or not to eat anything with many calories. I remember I started eating for breakfast, and, and by the way, I know some of this is very triggering, so please, if, if this is hard to hear specifics, please, you know, skip forward. I would start eating half of a fat-free waffle for breakfast, because I remember the waffle, I won't say how many calories it had, but I didn't want to eat that many, so I would eat half. I would put Splenda on the waffle, and that would be my breakfast. And I mean, that was a dangerously low amount of food. To eat. I mean, that wasn't even a couple bites. It wasn't even, I think, a full-size waffle. And my friend, I think she noticed, she was at my house a lot during that time. She noticed that I was not wanting to eat, so she would make me what she called fat meals. And it was basically whatever she could find in the kitchen that she could make at the age of 14, you know. I mean, she couldn't cook me a gourmet meal. But she would make me waffles and put syrup on them. She would find candy, just random things that we had laying around the house. And she would always bring me a fat meal. And I'm convinced to this day that those are things that maybe helped save my life in the long run. Because, you know, I wouldn't have eaten anything had she not brought me that. So I think it's worth pointing out here that, and this is not to disparage your parents or like your household growing up, but you didn't really grow up in a house where 
was like a table spread. Like that just wasn't sort of the home that you grew up in. No, and I'm not saying I was not fed, but there there was, as I got older, there was less sit-down dinners. We kind of all did our own thing. I played volleyball on the way home from games. We would pick up parties, or I know if you're in the U.S., out west, they call it Carl's Jr., but here it's Hardee's. We would pick up a burger and fries from there, or yeah, for, for dinner I would eat what my friend called a fat meal, and that was waffles and syrup and candy, uh, which was delicious, by the way, and that was all I had all day long. And so I was losing weight pretty rapidly. And in doing so, I my, my body did not feel like my own. I was cold all the time. I remember one particular day, I was so cold. It was summer. I went out to lay out in the sun, but I did it in sweatpants and a sweatshirt. And I was still freezing. I don't know how much you remember this. I, I would talk to my husband on the phone, or my boyfriend at the time, and I would have to get off the phone so I could go take a hot shower. And I did this probably four or five times a day, at least in the summer when I was home from school. And I would get out of the shower, and then the cold air in the house would immediately hit me, and I would run as fast as I could to get under my bed under the covers with a towel wrapped around me to try and dry off and get warm again. And I did this many times a day. Do you remember that? I do. Um, This also sort of plays into the same time period when you fainted at the beach. Yes. I was at the beach with my family and then um, some friends of ours, and my husband, you know, was was back at home. And back in the day, in 2004, we did not have cell phones with unlimited data or even the capability to go out of the state or out of the county without it roaming. Right, roaming charges, yeah. And they were... And limited texts. Yes. Roaming charges were astronomical, and... My parents did not want to pay for. I mean, obviously, um, who wants to pay three, four hundred dollars for your cell phone bill? I didn't even have my own cell phone, so that didn't even matter. I used my mom's, and I, I think sometimes I passed it off as if it were my own. But I went to the beach, and I was able to get a calling card. If you don't know what that is, that is when you buy so many minutes to go to a payphone and call through a provider and talk to somebody until your minutes ran out. So when I was at the beach, I wanted to call my husband and talk to him. I walked down the street to the payphone. I was by myself. I was wearing shorts, but I was wearing a hoodie. And, you know, I was not eating. During that phone call, I started to feel kind of off. Um, I knew something wasn't right. I made it through the phone call, and I vaguely remember hanging up the phone, and then I kind of stumbled. And then I woke up. I kid you not. I woke up. In the middle of the road, I was sitting crisscross, and my hands were kind of behind my back, like supporting my back. I I don't know how long I had been there. I don't know if cars had swerved around me. I don't know if anybody had stopped and tried to help. Obviously, they didn't. I don't think I told my mom and dad. I think I just got back to the beach house and just kind of played it off like, oh, I was on the phone for a while. But I, I will never forget waking up in the middle of the street and being completely disoriented. And thinking to myself, how many people could have helped me? Right. I guess um, with it being Myrtle Beach, uh, if you don't really know what Myrtle Beach is, um, Myrtle Beach has a reputation for being um, touristy, I guess would be uh, a good way of putting it. So earlier we even talked about how 
some people at school thought that maybe you were like doing drugs. So I imagine that like the people at this like tourist town um, see this young girl and just assume that either A, she's drunk or B, she's on drugs and just in the middle of the road and there's no real helping that. Yeah, but at the same time, I was a kid. I would have hoped that somebody would have noticed, even if they thought I was um, doing something that I shouldn't have been, that I was way too young. Again, nobody stopped. Right. And this is a good place to say that, like, if you see someone, I mean, it's a good idea to try and help out. I mean, like, there are obvious, like, issues that come up that are, like, instinctual and you feel bad and you're like, no, I probably shouldn't do this. But then, like you said, like, there is a obviously young girl, like, that is just in the middle of the road. Like, maybe someone should do something. Yeah, I don't Yeah, call somebody, do something. At least yell at me out the window and try to help me come, too. Maybe if I'd been laid out, I don't know how I got to be sitting up crisscross, but maybe if I had been like laid out and like had face planted, maybe somebody would have helped me. I don't, I don't know. We got home from the beach, started school again. I started the volleyball season at my high school. I remember another incident where I, I was not doing well in terms of my game. I, I was decent in middle school, but I was not playing well in high school because we would have practices after school and I'd already gone all day without eating and um, did not have any time to go home and even eat something small. So we just went straight to practice and had to run and do agility lines. And so this particular day we were practicing our serving and what you had to do, you had to serve 10 times. And for every time that didn't make it over the net, you had to run a lap around the gym. Well, I'm sure that I had all of, maybe two or three times that I served the ball that actually made it over. But I was so exhausted and so tired of even trying to get it over the net that I just said, well, I'm going to run my laps. But I was too tired to even run. I would have had to run seven or eight laps. I was too tired to do that. So I maybe made it three or four, and I kind of joined the rest of the group. And our assistant coach, she came over to me, and she said, you are a liar. And she, she singled me out, and she pointed me out, and she said, there are no way that you ran the amount of laps that you should have ran. And I, I was mortified. I felt physically, I was exhausted. Mentally, I was ashamed. I, I had to run the rest of the laps while everybody sat there and watched me. And that was humiliating. That kind of started off the school year on a bad note. Um, and I kind of soured away from playing for a little while. You know, my parents at that time... By that fall, they realized that I was really not doing so well and that my appearance had changed so much. Um, I was pale. I was always cold. I um, was having some other physical symptoms that I don't really want to discuss here, but they took me to my doctor. And I had lost some weight. I, I won't go into specific numbers, but I had lost enough for it to be concerned. And so I think maybe they had talked to the doctor before I went because she came in and I don't even think she asked me what I was there for that day. She just came in and said, so why are you losing so much weight? And I made up some of the things that I had eaten that I really hadn't um, just to get her off my back. And so she diagnosed me with what was called disordered eating. Like I mentioned last episode, my anorexia was something that I felt like I had to protect like a dear friend. And so I, I didn't want people to know about it because it was so... I hate to say this, it was so precious to me because it was something that made me feel like I was good at something and made me feel like I was better. 
so I, I didn't want it to get out in the open, so I made up what I ate, and I lied to her, and I regret it, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. I remember on the way out of the doctor's that day, my dad stepped in a room with my doctor as I was leaving, and he had tears in his eyes, and that broke my heart, but obviously it didn't break my heart enough for me to stop what I was doing at that time. I think that's, and that's not, not to invalidate your feelings, but that's sort of an unfair uh, criticism of yourself, right? I mean, there's things that we can control that like if you hurt someone's feelings and then, you know, you feel bad for it, but there's things that, that you can't control. And if those things hurt someone's feelings, I mean, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to reconcile that that is by you having a disorder should make someone feel bad. So therefore you should feel bad. I don't feel that way at all. It's worth noting that um, your parents didn't really grow up in a time where mental illness was, it wasn't a thing that was sort of just like, like openly discussed or hysteria or whatever it was phrased as. Fortunately for me, even though this situation, there's nothing fortunate about it. When I had my eating disorder, my, my parents, they knew enough of what that was because they um, were huge fans of the Carpenters. If you don't know who that is, it's a brother and sister singing duo. And Karen Carpenter, she died after a battle with anorexia. Um, she was actually getting better. And unfortunately, her body had taken too much of a hit. So I'm, I'm sure that even though this was not, like you said, discussed much at the time, she was probably in their minds. And, and unfortunately, you know, she was a celebrity. Everybody knew her and loved her. And by her dying um, in the public eye, it probably made people... Um, realize the magnitude of eating disorders, especially since I said that she was re she was recovering, she was doing better, she was eating more, but it was too late. And that was the scary part. And I'm, I'm sure that was in the back of at least my mom's mind. Uh, they didn't want to lose me. And so after I went to the doctor that day, they set me up with a therapist to talk about some of my feelings around eating. She, before I went in, had me write down what I ate for the past three days. She looked at that list, and the first thing she said to me was, you're not eating enough. Okay, one, as if I did not know that. And two, you are not qualified to give me advice on what to eat or what not to eat. You are here to help me work through my feelings around this disorder. And I never went back. I searched for therapists, and my parents took me to many of them. But none of them were very qualified I don't attribute my recovery to a particular therapist, which a lot of people um, hopefully cannot say. Hopefully now um, there's there's more support and there's a lot more uh, websites and phone numbers and Instagram pages and just a lot of people promoting recovery. And I, I think it's maybe a little easier now, but I had to want to get help. And, and during this time, I just, I didn't. I, I did not want to stop losing weight. I made a pact with my dad that I would not get under a certain weight, and he would watch me weigh, and he would check my pockets to make sure that I did not put little hand weights in them, and I was wearing a, a big, thick, heavy robe, and I, I did get under the weight that we agreed on, but I think that particular day, because of the robe, um, it added a couple of pounds, and I was, I was at the very low end of, of what we decided I should be. It felt good, but I never felt like it was enough. And so during this time, um, I was I was exercising four and five hours a day. I occasionally binge ate because I was starving, and I um, always thought of myself as having binge eating disorder. But when you actually look at the research on anorexia, binge eating is just 
a part of that because your body gets to a certain point where it cannot take it any longer. And so you're shoveling food and it gets to a point where you feel sick because you've eaten so much. You feel sick emotionally, you feel sick physically. And so during that time, I would also take laxatives to purge. I tried to make myself get sick, but I couldn't. My mom, she she has every medicine under the sun. She had laxatives in case she needed them, and I found them in the cabinet. And so after my parents would go to bed, I would sneak the bottle back to my room, and I would chug. I think you're probably only supposed to take a couple of ounces at the most. I would chug. And then I would wake up in the middle of the night violently ill. But it felt, it felt right. I know it wasn't, but it felt so right that my body was disposing. That's kind of uh, the age of 14 in a nutshell. And um, it wasn't until I turned 15 that I kind of started to lean in the right direction anyway, in terms of recovery. I, I will not say that at 15 I recovered um, because you, you kind of can't. You can, you can cope and you can manage but the thoughts are always there. Yeah, I remember one specific incident. You and I had had a conversation once about you eating, uh, are you chewing chewing gum? And you had counted those calories as your daily intake. And uh, that was when it sort of like hit home for me that like something may be wrong. And you and I had a discussion about how like, I mean, I, I even remember thinking then like that's not, food, you know, like you're like counting these calories and it's just a piece of gum that you weren't even like eating. Like you were actually just putting it like a, a stick of big red or whatever into your mouth, chewing it, spitting it out and counting those calories for your day. And, um, I remember that being, I feel like one of the tipping points of me realizing that like something was, something was wrong. And it was sort of, uh, between, I guess, I guess we can go into this later. It was, there was a period of time between you mentioned being 14 and then, uh, your first job, which was in fast 16, food. 16, yes. In fast food. I was 16 years old. And I feel like the gap between those two is you going through it, then starting, like you said, you rounded the corner, and then we get to the fast food part. And I feel like that's sort of where um, we can start the next episode. We can we can go into that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the age of 15 next time. This was... 16 when I started my first job. But yeah, we can absolutely delve into that because that that brought up a whole other host of issues in terms of eating. But anyway, that's a little bit about 14. Thank you for joining me. No problem. Episode. I mean, you mentioned that like it, it, there just wasn't a lot of um, like knowing there's help, right? And, right? and we lived in a time, I mean, so this would have been 2004, 2005. Like podcasts weren't a thing. No, um, no. Audiobooks weren't a thing. Like Online social media was not really a thing other than, like, at this point would have been, like, Zanga or LiveJournal or, like, mm-hmm. even the early days of MySpace. You don't have this outlet to realize that, like, hey, there are people that are like me out there that are going through the same issues. You grew up in a time and went through this, like, this disorder in a time when, like, there were no resources to really help. Even though the Internet existed and, like, we had, like, all the wealth of information, there was no, like, connectivity of the Internet. It was just, like, feeling insulated. And that was sort of where you were, like, reaching for help but couldn't really find any, like you mentioned, the therapists who were saying they were not qualified. I, I think you're right to an extent. But the point about me reaching for help, the fact is that I wasn't. I very much was attached to this disorder and I did not want help. In fact, you mentioned live journal. I would follow these live journal accounts talking about Anna 
and you think of Anna, you think of a girl's name, will know they were actually talking about anorexia, and they were posting what we called Thinspo, which was Thin Inspiration, and they, I would look at those pictures all day long and think, that's, that's who I have to be, that's who I want to be, and so I, while I should have been reaching out for help, I was doing the exact opposite. I was I was fueling this disorder in a way that um, almost you know cost me my life, especially when you think about the times that I fainted, and the fact that nobody helped me. I mean, some some people don't wake up from that. We will talk some about later years and things that I did differently, whether that be good or bad, different. But thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I hope you got something out of it, other than the fact that these are all my little sob stories. But I, I hope that you you learned a little bit more about what this disorder can look like day to day with a person and how it can manifest in their life. So thank you so much for joining us. Wishing you lots of love and healing. Until next time.